Hey, this is Scott Taylor. I am so glad that you have joined us. I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church, and we would love to connect with you. You can connect with us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at TPCGVL, or you could text the word CONNECT to 864-479-4483. We've got a word for you today that I hope challenges you and inspires you. So anxious for nothing. We're going to continue up. And, and so last week, I sort of got through uh, really my first point, And we're going to pick up where we left off. And, and this idea of anxious for nothing, I just want to remind you that post-COVID, the top two felt needs in our society, according to the experts, and you guys know that the two biggest liars are they and I'm told, right, like they say, and I'm told, like two biggest liars in the world, but they say the top two uh, felt needs are, number one, toxicity. Like our, our society is far more toxic now than it was pre-COVID, right? I mean, and it's not just social media, it's not just politics, it's, it's in the family dynamic now. Like there are studies that show like families have argued so much about all the stuff that really doesn't matter that they're not even getting together for holidays anymore. Like they're just, so that's one thing. And then the second one is this, anxiety. Anxiety and depression and, and things that people are facing and the weights that people are carrying. And, and so we, we have this time where we're just anxious about things and we have anxiety about stuff. But listen to me. The world can say that there's, you need to do this, this, and this for anxiety. The United States of America, we are the top purchaser and user of like anxiety drugs, like prescription drugs in the world. And so the world has its answer. But listen to me. God has his. And so what we're doing during this series is we're, we're dealing with what God says about being anxious. And I've just got to, I'm going to confess something to you. And, and, and so Sonia and I have talked about this, and, and I think I can say this without getting in trouble. I've already started, so I may or may not be in trouble after I say this, but like I don't struggle with anxiety that much. Anxiety is just not something that I, on a day-to-day -day basis, week-to-week, Month to month, it's not something that I struggle with that much. But Sonia does. Like she struggles with anxiety and she's had panic attacks and she's fought through these things and, and it's just not something. So I'm bringing you a perspective and we're going to have Sonia come bring a perspective as well from the other side. And so I am sympathetic to people that struggle with anxiety and panic attacks and, and deal with depression. And I have had a bout with depression before. But we're going to look at what the Bible says about being anxious. And Paul writes this to us in Philippians chapter 4. And in Philippians chapter 4, you need to understand the context of what Paul is saying because Paul is in prison. Paul has this mission that he's going to go to, um, to Rome and he feels like this is calling. He's desperate and he's And Paul was not a guy that says, you know, I think I'll go do that and just kind of treated it casually. Paul was a guy, once he made his mind up, like he's going to move all things out of the way, break down every wall to get to do what he's going to do. He was a purposeful person. And so he's got to get to Rome. And, and, and he felt like this was his calling. And every time he, he got a little further down the road to closer to his calling, listen to me, 
He was on a mission from God. Get it out of your head, Blues Brothers. I know, right? Those of you that remember, we're on a mission from God. Get it out of your head. Half of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. And he was on this mission from God to go and to do something for him. And then around every corner, he faced an obstacle. And I'm not talking about hard times. I'm not talking about, you know, flat tires and things like that. No, no. He was thrown in jail. He was beaten. So he's arrested. And when he writes this letter, he is in jail, maximum security, chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So he's writing this letter not even knowing if he's ever going to see freedom again, not ever knowing if he's ever going to be able to get out of what he's in or even live for that matter, much less get to where he feels with every fiber of his being that God's calling him to do. And this is what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Like rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I want you to think about this because you got to flesh the stuff out. Like he's chained to a Roman prisoner, to a Roman guard. And so he had to sleep, chained to, a, he had to go to the bathroom, chained to, the, like every, everything he did, he was chained. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, and in case you didn't get it the first time, again I say, rejoice. Let the gentleness be, named, be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. You know what that, that means? The Lord is near. Rejoice. Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. You can have joy. You hear me? You can have joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is an emotion. But joy is a state of being. Joy is deeper than just a happiness. We'll talk about that in a second. This is where we get our title from. Be anxious for nothing. Choose not to be anxious. And you, if you deal with anxiety, you're saying, oh yeah, it's easy for you to say. Well, Paul said it too. Choose not to be anxious. And we're going to talk the rest of the day about how to not be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So you need to cover your life. You need to cover what you're going through in prayer. With thanksgiving, you need to choose to be thankful. Replace your anxiety with thankfulness. Let your requests be made known to God. And listen, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Can I just remind you what I told you last week? For the control freaks in the room, you think that it's your job to guard your hearts and mind. You think it's your job to be happy. You think it's your job to control your circumstances. No, 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 no. Paul says if you'll be anxious for nothing, you'll pray about everything with an attitude of thanksgiving, then the peace of God is going to come in. You're, gonna, you're not going to go and find that. The peace of God is going to rule your heart and it will guard your heart. The peace of God is what guards your heart. So we talked about this a good bit last week and I just want to go back to that first one that we talked about before where he said rejoice in the Lord. 
Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. Can I just tell you something? You're not going to find joy, and you're not going to find fulfillment, and you're not going to find happiness in the bottom of a bottle. You're not going to find it in a drug. You're not going to find it on a website. You're not going to find it in an earthly relationship. You're not going to find it on the golf course. You're not going to find it in the shopping mall or on Amazon. And you're not going to find it on the lake fishing. And I hate to say this, fellas, but you're not going to find it in the woods waiting on the turkey to come by. You find joy and fulfillment in the fullness of God's presence. Which means you need to seek His presence. You can have joy. But listen to me. Joy is found in the presence of God. If you're going to seek something, why not seek the presence of God? That's where we find joy. And so Paul, in the midst of his circumstances, he says, hey, you can have joy. Joy is found in the presence of God. Seek Him and you can find that. We live in a password society. Anybody else hate passwords? Like I remember when it, when it started. You have mail. I remember dialing up online and you remember? Like anybody else old enough to remember that? And, and AOL and you have mail and it was such a cool thing. And you're like, oh yeah. And the internet speed was like, like it was so slow. And for those that are younger in the room, you had to be at home on a computer that was plugged into the wall to have internet access that was horrible. So we live in this internet password society. And when you think about your bank account, everything that is in your bank account is yours, right? Like whatever the balance is, it's yours. But in order for you to access your bank account, because nobody carries checkbooks anymore, you have to get online and you have to enter in what? Your password. So in order for you to access what is already yours, you've got to enter the correct password. And the, for you to have joy and you to have peace and you to be able to, to live in the fulfillment of God, you've got to have the right password. And you know what the right password is for you to find that? Is surrender. Like, you're not going to be able to find the peace of God. You're not going to be able to find the joy of God. You're not going to be able to fully enter into, you're not going to be able to get rid of your anxiety. You're not going to be able to really get to any of that if you don't surrender your life and surrender yourself to God. Control freaks in the house, hello. You got to give that to God. And so here's the truth for you. You can have control or you can have faith. But you can't have both. You can have control and you can control all your circumstances and you can, you can be in charge and you can do the thing or you can have faith in God because faith in God says, God, I trust you to come through. I trust that what you have for me is better than what I have for me. I trust that your way is better than my way. 
And the problem is, in the, in the life that we are in, we're in the car and we're asking God to give us directions to the place we want to go. Rather than saying, okay, God, where do you want me to go? And the problem is we're in the driver's seat and we're holding on to the steering wheel because we have to be in control. And reality is God needs to be in the driver's seat. You're never going to know if God can drive if you don't give him control. If you don't let him sit in the seat and drive. As long as you're trying to hold on, you're going to mess it up. And so last week we talked about Elijah. And Elijah was a man who's seen God work in mighty ways. Elijah was a man who had watched God do incredible, miraculous things, miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and I would encourage you to go back because we talked a good bit about it last week. And, you know, Elijah, God used Elijah to tell him there was a drought, there was a drought that was going to be coming. Then he sent him by a brook and he was by the brook in the water and the ravens brought him food. Then God sent him over to, to be with a widow and, and he lived and the widow took care of him, but the widow was about to run out of oil and fix their last meal for her and her son and then the next thing you know uh, you know God uses Elijah that the oil never runs out and and the, the widow's son dies and what did Elijah do he prayed for him and he rose from the dead and then Elijah goes and God told him to go the drought's going to end he said go and and confront the prophets of Baal so 850 false prophets Elijah goes and defeats and kills and, and he prays down fire from heaven. Then he prays again and the rain comes. All of that in a three-year span. Like any one of those would be, would be awesome to experience, right? In a lifetime. That's three-year span for one man. And after this mountaintop experience, literally on Mount Carmel, this mountaintop experience, he defeats all these 800 feet. He prays fire down from heaven, prays for the rain to come. He, he gets a threat by the king's wife, Jezebel, and it ruins his life. So let's look at that. 1 Kings chapter 19. And when he saw that, he arose. This is, this is after he got the threat from Jezebel. He saw that, he rose and ran for his life. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. We're going to come back to that. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I'm highlighting in blue. You probably figured out. It means something. And came and he sat down on a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Can I just tell you and remind you of something that when you get anxious and when you get depressed, it makes you think irrational thoughts. And you don't know they're irrational thoughts because you're in the midst and you're overweight and you're in this clutter and you're in this weight of anxiety and this weight of depression and you're making irrational thoughts and the people that love you are there saying, hey, no, wait, what? Come on. But it's your thoughts and it's irrational because you're not thinking clearly. That's what anxiety does to us. And he says, I'm, I might as well die, Lord. I'm all by myself. And as he lay there, he slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked there by his head and a cake baked with coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, 
because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. And there he went into a cave. He's still running, y'all. And he spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in a cave? What are you thinking? Remember, it's irrational. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets. Look at this. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Remember the irrational thought where he said, hey, I'm going to run for my life because Jezebel has threatened to kill me. I'm going to run for my life, and then I'm going to pray that I die. Doesn't make sense. Then he runs a little further. He goes into a cave, and look, he's saying it again to the angel. I alone am left. They seek to kill me. So this is Elijah, and, and, and Elijah made it one fatal, one big mistake. Elijah reacted in the flesh rather than responding with God's word. We talked about this last week. Reaction is in the flesh. Reaction is emotional. Reaction is your first response. It's what you want to do. It's how you want to act. It's what you think is best. And remember, when you're not focused on God and you've got, you've got anxiety and depression and things like that going on, you can't trust your thoughts and you can't trust your emotions. And, and, and you're irrationally thinking. And, and this, is what, this is the state that Elijah was in when he reacted rather than responding to God's word. Can I just tell you something? Something that I've learned in the last four years of my life since planning the church. You have to remember that you need to talk to yourself, not listen to yourself. Because if you listen to yourself, you'll go down that spiral. You'll go down the wrong path. If you listen to yourself, the enemy can get a hold of that and he can cause confusion and he can cause fear. He can cause you to doubt. And he'll put you in a place you don't need to be. But when you talk to yourself, you can go to God's word and you can remind yourself that you're the head, not the tail. That you are chosen. That you are not forsaken. That you are a child of God. That he cares about you, loves you so much that he sent Jesus and that Jesus rose from the dead and that you are victorious, not defeated. See, that's talking to yourself. So he reacted rather than responding to God's word. The first mistake that he did in this mindset of reaction is Elijah let himself get worn down from the victory. Once you get to the mountaintop and you have the pinnacle experience, you can count on the fact that the enemy's going to come. He's going to try to disrupt. He's going to try to lie. He's going to try to get you distracted. Elijah forgot that the battle was spiritual. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago? Like the battle is spiritual. And we have the armor of God that we are given. And that's, that's how we prepare. That's the equipment for the battle. But the battle is won in prayer. 
The battle is won because you're on your knees, because you're in the Word of God. Elijah forgot that the battle, and, and he got on this mountaintop, and he thought, hey, I've made it, I've arrived. And he got distracted because he was so happy with what God had done. And he settled and he let his guard down. And then all of a sudden the enemy comes and pops him with a, with a threat. He forgot the battle was spiritual. He forgot to do the same things in the good times that got him through the bad times. It's so easy for us when we get the bad news, when the bank account's low, when the boss is being a jerk, when the stuff's happening, we turn to God and we say, okay, God, I need you. Because we got nowhere else to turn. But then when things go good and you get the promotion and you get the new job and you got the money in the bank account, it's easy for us to kind of let our guard down and think, oh yeah, man, I got this under control. Look at me, this guy. And we forget the battle is spiritual. This is a great reminder. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The battle is spiritual. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity and the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish. I love that word. Like to punish. You're going to go at it. All disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Can I just tell you what you need to do? You need to think what you th- you need to think about what you think about. Like your problem isn't the problem. Your problem is the way you think about your problem. Your problem is the fact that you think you can tackle the problem by yourself. But it's really not your problem at all. God says if we'll just cast that to Him and we'll lay our burdens at His feet, He will carry us through. Elijah isolated himself. Man. 26 years of ministry. I've watched this happen countless times. But in the last two or three years, that number, that's, that's just been magnified. I call this sabotaging. Like you self-sabotage your, your physical, your spiritual, emotional health. Because when you're anxiety and you're depressed and you're overwhelmed, you don't think rational thoughts. I'm all along, God, just kill me. It's irrational. And the people that are around you that are going to pull you out of that and they're going to say, hey, God's got you through this. God's going to get you through this. God loves you. I love you. We're with you. Those are the people that you end up shutting off. Elijah isolated himself because he left his servant. So he went a certain distance and he said, hey, you stay here. I'm going to keep. And he isolated himself. Then what did he do? He went into a cave. Don't isolate yourself. You're not an only child. Don't act like one. Elijah's fear replaced his faith. Like Elijah made his fear, he made his problem greater 
than he made God. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Like his whole purpose is to distract you. And here's the thing. That doesn't always come in big, big issues. Sometimes it can come and it can be a relationship. Sometimes it can come and it can be a song that comes on the radio that takes you back to a place that you shouldn't go. Hello. Sometimes it can be a TV show. Sometimes it can be like it's little things that are the greatest distraction. Elijah shifted his focus from God to his problems. We talked about this last week. Like, why would you make the size of your problems bigger than God? And what we do is we try to fit God into our problems. But the reality is, is God is so much bigger than our problems that we should just give our problems to God. We talked about that last week. It's just a reminder. So Elijah's in the cave. Elijah's feeling all alone. Elijah's got irrational thoughts. Look what happens in the very next verse. Then he said, the angel of the Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel, he's really sticking with this story. For thy forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I alone am left and they seek my life. Woe is me, poor, pitiful me. Don't you feel sorry for me, God? Then the Lord said to him, Go and return to the way of the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel the king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nishmi, Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of... I'm not even going to try that. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. I mean, they're Bible names, y'all. It's tough. And I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, okay? Like, a, ooh, the pastor done cussed in service. And then the elders will be up here. And anyway, this shall be that whoever escapes the sword, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Look at verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. But I'm all alone, God. They're, they're just all giving up. They've all run away, and it's just me. I by myself, I'm all alone. No, you, you isolated yourself. You separated yourself from those that love you. 
You've put yourself into the cave because you chose to go there. And look, you're looking at things through your perspective, but I'm looking at things through mine. And you think you're all by yourself because you've isolated yourself, but here's the truth. I've reserved 7,000 that are by your side. And not only that, you're going to be victorious. And you're going to have help. God's whisper reminded Elijah that he's still in control. Can I just tell you something? Listen to me. Proximity matters. What do you have to do when somebody whispers? You have to get close, right? I'm not talking about being a close talker. We've had some of those. Like you just got to, because it might be a spitter and a close talker. That's a bad combination. But the whisper matters because the whisper shows that he's still in control and you got to be close. Proximity matters, y'all. You got to be close to God. You're going to be close to God by staying in his word and staying around the right people, not isolating yourself. There are times when you need to, yeah, separate yourself. But listen to me, proximity matters to God. God's whisper was so holy that Elijah covered his face. And it was so powerful that it changed his entire focus. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. The presence of God brings fulfillment. It brings joy. But it also brings purpose. Purpose. Jesus tells us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of time. So we've got a job to do, purpose, and we've got a promise of presence. I don't know what you're going through today. You might be fighting to keep your head above water. You might be fighting the job. You might be fighting the bank account. You might be fighting health. You might be fighting trying to keep your kids straight, family together. I don't know what you're facing today. Maybe you're just trying to keep your grades up so you can get out of school. Maybe you're trying to just get through senioritis. Maybe you're just trying to make it in life. Listen to me. We have a promise that God's going to be with us always. Think about this thought. There has never been a time when God wasn't. In the history of time, there's never been a time when God wasn't. All through the Bible, we have times and examples of when God was with his people. He's with Abram when he faced new territory. He was with Peter when he was in prison. He was with Paul when he faced all the circumstances that he faced. It's why when God spoke to to Moses, he said, go and tell them that I am sent you. Think about what you think about. So I want you to change your thinking. I am not an emotional health person. I am not a a psychologist or psychiatrist or a self-help. I am a pastor. 
And the problem is when, we've, when we feel like we got anxiety, we feel like we're going through stuff, we try to fight it, we try to control it, we try to eliminate. It's why we end up eliminating the wrong things because we're thinking irrational. Anxiety is not a symptom. It's a signal to pray. Rather than trying to subtract the things of life, why not just add prayer? And as full as your jar is of anxiety, the more you start adding prayer, that prayer is going to push that anxiety down. Anxiety is going to go out and you'll have the presence of God in your life. Anxiety is a signal to pray. You're not in control. The peace of God rules your heart. So we talked about Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 7. Look at the very next verse. Paul's no dummy, man. He he knows what he's talking about here. Look at what Paul says to do next. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, good report, if there is anything of virtue and there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You know what it means to meditate? Chew on it. Chew on those things. Talk to yourself. Don't listen. Remind yourself of whose you are and live accordingly. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know that this series is timely. I know that this series is needed. And I know anxiety is real. I know depression is real, but I know God is real. And he can overcome and he's greater than any of it. Would you stand with me today? I don't know which scenario looks like you. I don't know if your problems are ginormous And God's not even on the radar. But can I just encourage you to live this way? Live as if God is in control. Surrender is your password. Give it to Him. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you this. If today you're struggling, if today... You're just fighting to keep your head above water. There's a solution, and it's surrender to God. Listen to me, just because you're struggling with anxiety, just because you're struggling with stuff does not make you a less of a person. It doesn't make you less spiritual. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. But God says, bring it to him. Our prayer team's going to come and they're going to be here available to you. And this is how we're going to end the service. They're going to be available to you to pray. And it will do you so much good just to have someone pray with you and pray for you. So I would encourage you to come. So I'm going to pray a prayer over you. They're going to sing, and this is our, when they start singing, you can leave or you can come down for prayer. 
If you're watching us online, listening to us by podcast, text PRAY, 864-479-4483. If you're new here, our team's going to be in the back to my right. We want to connect with you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. Now, God, I pray that you would be with us. Give us the peace that passes all understanding. Help us to turn to your word today, God. We love you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You have defeated death. You have defeated sin. You have defeated sickness. Now, God, I pray that, Lord, you would give us breakthrough. Drop the weight off of our shoulders, the chains that bind us down, God, and let us walk in freedom with you, God. The peace that only comes from you. Let us experience that in fullness of joy by pursuing your presence, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, come on down. See you next week.